Welcome to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. This is where we take a chapter-by-chapter approach to the scriptures that are assigned by the Come Follow Me curriculum of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Barry Hillam, and I hope that this podcast will be a benefit to you. In each episode, you will hear a short flyover summary for the scriptural chapter in question, followed by a verse-by-verse reading that is supplemented with commentary from parallel passages of scripture and from modern-day prophets. You might consider adjusting the playback speed in your favorite podcast player. With that, I'm glad you're with me. Let's get started. Alma, chapter 35. Well, we have been taught so richly and with such vivid imagery in the past several chapters during this Zoramite mission that we can almost forget that it wasn't written directly to us, but it was actually written to these poor, dispossessed Zoramites in the land of Antionum. This chapter, now that we have ended Amulek's sermon in Alma chapter 34 and Alma's sermon in uh, Alma chapters 32 and 33, brings us back to storytelling narrative that brings this Zoramite mission to a close and reminds us what the context for those incredible uh, three chapters was. As in other passages in the Book of Mormon and in Scripture more broadly, Having been so enlightened by these sermons, it's now our task to experience some post-illumination affliction as readers, (laughs) to use Elder Holland's recent phrase. We've been on a spiritual high by reading these things from Alma and Amulek, and it's now our unsavory task of considering how the Zoramites in the land of Antionum will handle these new converts that have been so influenced by Alma, Amulek, Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Shiblon, and at least somewhat by Corianton. So we'll read what these wicked Zoramites did towards those who were already dispossessed because of the coarseness of their apparel, but now they will be dispossessed because of their conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the Zoramites who remained in Antionum, who are referred to in the text here in chapter 35 as the more popular Zoramites or the more popular part of the Zoramites. I think never in Scripture have we read the word popular with more disdain, and uh, never has it seemed like such a pejorative to be popular. These Zoramites do vile things, as we read in this chapter. They're, They're not willing to allow these converted Zoramites to be free, to have their own opinions. They are forcibly expelled from the land of Antionum, But this is only after they are identified in a really crafty and kind of underhanded way. But then this expulsion still isn't enough for these Zoramites. The group of exiles that they have created go very appropriately, I think, to the land of Jershon. But even when they settle in the land of Jershon, or perhaps before they're even allowed to settle in Jershon, The chief ruler of the Zoramites, and being a very wicked man, as it says in verse 8, demanded, and in fact breathed out much threatenings against the people of Ammon, that they send out or cast out those of their land, in the land of Jershon, who had come over to them. So in other words, these exiles, these poor dispossessed Zoramites who came to Alma at uh, the hill Oneida in the land Antionum. It's very hard for us to understand when we read this why it is that this leader of the Zoramites 
and this more popular part of the Zoramites couldn't simply leave these exiles alone and allow them to go elsewhere. Uh, But they couldn't, and they were stirred up to anger. And so then we'll discover in the latter verses of this chapter that the thing that was so greatly feared does occur, that these Zoramites do mix with the Lamanites, and they begin to prepare for war to come against the Nephites again. Remember again that the Nephites had just recently recovered, and the Lamanites too, for that matter, had recently recovered from the worst war that had ever taken place between these two peoples. And we read of that in Alma chapter 28. And so the Nephites so desperately wanted to prevent this from happening again. And that's, that was kind of the impetus behind the Zoramite mission. Well, the spiritual fruits of the Zoramite mission were clear. And of course, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of this, the fruits are, are still being harvested today because Alma and Amulek's teachings during the Zoramite mission are so prescient and so uh, applicable to our modern dispensation and to the practice of discipleship and our understanding of the atonement. So this mission bore great fruit, but the political alliance that they so greatly feared, that Nephite leaders so greatly feared, did take place ultimately between the Zoramites and the Lamanites, and we will see this at the end of Alma chapter 35. This is a tragic outcome indeed, and uh, we'll have much to read about, and in fact, Mormon will take us into the details of this episode that spins out of this. And uh, this is where we'll be introduced to Captain Moroni and and so many others uh, during the period of war that will commence from this time. All of that will be picked up in Alma chapter 43 because we're about to move into this interlude that Mormon gives us in Alma chapters 36 through 42, where, of course, Alma will speak to each of his sons, to Helaman and Shiblon and Corianton. So we can expect this narrative to resume once we come to the end of Alma chapter 35 and Alma chapter 43. I think this episode can show us, as we come to the end of the Zoramite mission, something similar that that we certainly saw at the end of the mission to the land of Nephi by the sons of Mosiah, that amidst great spiritual gains, there were also measurable temporal losses. When the converted people of Ammon come into the land of Jershon, there is also so much loss and tragedy, and we can see that the very same thing is happening here with these converted Zoramites. It can show us, I think, that as we seek similar spiritual gains and seek conversion in our lives and seek to bring others to the gospel of Jesus Christ and convert them, that there inevitably will be an element of tragedy that seems to accompany those gains and which undoubtedly is a function of a a very active adversary who wants very much to thwart the work of the Lord. We know that that's true on a broader, more general level when we read about a heel that is bruised versus a head that is crushed in the Garden of Eden, all the way into the book of Revelation, when we read about a dragon and a beast and a false prophet who have a counterfeit version of the church of the Lamb of God and who oppose him at every turn. Well, we can see from these stories that this opposing work that the adversary is engaged in also happens on a local and on a personal level, and is certainly true in this story about the Zoramites and uh, is true, I think, for us. And so it's critical, of course, for us to look forward in faith and to continually call upon God. This will allow us to draw upon the power of Jesus Christ in just the way that Alma taught 
in Alma chapters 33 and 32, and also in just the way that Amalek has just taught us in Alma chapter 34. Well, with those introductory thoughts, I'd like to look now at the structure of this chapter, which is 15 verses in length, excuse me, 16 verses, so it's a little bit shorter. And uh, the first section of this is really in verses 1 and 2, where we can see that we're returning to narrative, and that Alma and Amulek, after they have given these great sermons, leave uh, the land of Antionum, and they go over into the land of Jershon, as it says in verse 1. And we also can see that other missionaries went with them, because in verse 2 it says, and the rest of the brethren, after they had preached the word unto the Zoramites, also came over into the land of Jershon. So Alma and Amulek's work is complete, and Ammon and Aaron and Omner and uh, Corianton and Shiblon's work is also complete, and they leave the Zoramites, come into Jershon. At this point, we, we can almost predict the tragedy that ensues simply by the knowing that the righteous have been extracted out from among the Zoramites. That's always a perilous situation. We saw that especially with Ammonihah that once those who were righteous had been destroyed and expelled from their city, uh, forcibly expelled, that only those most depraved were those who remained, and they were ripe for destruction. So something similar is happening here in the land of Antionum, and we can just kind of sense that if these missionaries have retracted and all the righteous uh, have followed those missionaries into Jershon. Now verses 3 through 5 uh, use this phrase, the more popular Zoramites, and it shows something really insidious here because they engage in a plan of subterfuge here. They gather all the Zoramites together and they survey them regarding the missionary message of Alma and his many companions. And, and they do so in a way that, that is not transparent, uh, making it feel, it seems, uh, safe for those followers of Alma and his brethren to express their interest and fidelity in what they have just been taught. And once they do so, they're then identified and expelled. So we see in verses 6 and 7 that those who did favor Alma were expelled from Antionum and that these exiles go to the land of Jershon. Now in verses 8 through 9, we'll see that this isn't enough for the chief ruler of the Zoramites, who again is um, described as a very wicked man. He demands that the people in the land of Jerishon, or the people of Ammon, expel the poor Zoramites from them as well. But the people of Ammon, interestingly, and we can remember how they handled Korahor too, uh, these are a spiritually mature people who uh, don't have the fear of man that you might expect them to have. Uh, because it says that this leader of the Zoramites breathed out many threatenings against the people of Ammon. And, and this would have been intimidating indeed. But as we're told in verse 9, the people of Ammon did not fear their words, and they, they simply nourished and clothed these dispossessed Zoramites who came to them. And of course, clothing is, is a recurring theme with them because they had their, their, their apparel had coarseness, as it said earlier in uh, Alma chapter 31. So now these dispossessed Zoramites have relocated. They're now in the land of Jershon. And our attention turns in the final verses of this chapter back to the Zoramites who remain, the more popular part. We know how they practice their religion. We know about the Ramiumpton. We know about their synagogues. 
We know that they are a malicious lot, and we'll discover this even more as we go on in the narrative. We know that their leader is wicked, and it's not entirely surprising, therefore, that they mix with the Lamanites and begin to prepare for war against the Nephites. We read of this in verses 10 through 12, and the ostensible reason for their anger is because of the people of Ammon, who refused to expel this remnant of the Zoramites from them. Despite their lack of fear, the people of Ammon still have to respond to this very real threat. And so we find in verse 13 that the people of Ammon actually leave Jershon. Uh, So this way they can make room for Nephite armies that will come in and take their place. Uh, So it's a a very uh, disappointing and sad outcome. Again, it's kind of post-illumination affliction for us as we read because we have to come back into this idea of war and this reality of war between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And so the people of Ammon make room for these Nephite armies, and war ensues here in verse 13. Then we come back in verse 14 to discuss the Zoramite mission, and it comes to a complete end in verse 14. Mormon provides a short retrospective of that mission in that verse. Then in the final two verses, we'll find that Alma is truly grieved because of how things have turned out with the Zoramites. And this kind of sets us up uh, for what is to come in chapter 43 of Alma, because that's where this narrative will pick up, as though it's actually the next chapter, really. Uh, And it'll set us up for that because uh, we're, we're about to go into a period of war in the book of Alma. And we can see Alma's attitude prior to the time that we move into that narrative, that he is really grieved because of the iniquity of people and for the wars and the bloodsheds and contentions which were among them, as it says in verse 15. And then it reminds us that he has declared the word or um, sent to declare the word among the people in every city. And so once again, this theme shows up in the book of Alma, where Alma's response to the problems that beset him is to turn to the word. Then verse 16, the final verse, will give us an immediate continuity piece into the next several chapters where Alma will give his charge, as it says in verse 16, separately to each of his three sons and speak with them concerning the things pertaining unto righteousness. So they were beneficiaries of that. And of course, we will be beneficiaries of those several chapters as he um, teaches his sons things that will be great spiritual treasures for us as we go through them. So now returning to verse 1. Now it came to pass that after Amulek had made an end of these words, they withdrew themselves from the multitude and came over into the land of Jershon. So again, Alma finished his address and he sat. And that was at the end of Alma chapter 33. And at the beginning of Alma chapter 34, uh, Amulek stood and spoke. And so now Amulek's sermon is done. Alma is done teaching and they withdraw themselves from the multitude and go to the land of Jershon. Verse 2, Yea, and the rest of the brethren, after they had preached the word unto the Zoramites, also came over into the land of Jershon. It's interesting that they would go to Jershon, these missionaries, after they've left Antionum. Um, We'll read something here in just a moment from Brant Gardner, which talks about the characteristics of these people and how they would have welcomed these travel-weary Nephite missionaries. But also, we can tell just because of the, um, the, the, the way that 
it's necessary later to prepare for war in Jerusalem that it was probably close to Antionum. So there are probably practical reasons as well that they went into Jerushan. Here's what Brent Gardner said about this episode. Jerushan is a logical location since it is closer than Zarahemla. They would have depended on the generosity of those whom they visited to feed and house them. Apparently their message had appealed to the poorest Zoramites, who were therefore the least able to offer hospitality, especially for a sustained period. Most Zoramites were completely unsympathetic. The welcoming support of Jershon would have been sustaining to them. That's a, a really fascinating point. We read at the beginning of the Zoramite mission at the end of Alma chapter 31 that they would take no thought for what they ate, uh, so they would go without perscript as it were. But it's clear that those who welcomed them in Zarahemla were so poor and so marginalized that they probably didn't have the capacity to take care of these missionaries uh, in any sort of sustained way, especially as as uh, things became more hostile in the land of Antionum. So uh, that's kind of an interesting piece of insight from Brant Gardner. And we certainly know that um, the, the other Zoramites, the more popular part, uh, they certainly would have been unsympathetic. They they trampled Korahor, who they you would have thought that they would have considered Korahor one of their own, but they didn't. So they're a very unsympathetic lot, as Gardner is is making clear here. So verse three, and it came to pass that after the more popular part of the Zoramites had consulted together concerning the words which had been preached unto them, they were angry because of the word, for it did destroy their craft. Therefore, they would not hearken unto the words. So the more popular part of the Zoramites had also heard the words of Alma and Amulek, and they had a very different response than these poor Zoramites. And so we can see that the missionaries have withdrawn themselves from Antionum. Now all of the Zoramites remain, and these more popular part, they're they're consulting together what they should do to those Zoramites who have accepted the word from these missionaries. Then we get this critical piece of insight that they're angry, particularly because it destroys their craft, the way that they're making their living. The tenets of true religion have been brought back into their borders by these missionaries, and these tenets of true religion are clearly uh, a threat to this very perverted and twisted form of religion that was demonstrated to us in Alma chapter 31. And we can see that there's an element of craft and gain in all of that. Reynolds and Sojal have said the craft refers to priestcraft. When preaching the gospel is made a craft, when ministering its precepts becomes a business, or when its blessings are known only to the rich, its mercies and its comforts flee. And what is left is merely a sham, a make-believe, in which there is no soul, no holy promptings. That strong language from Reynolds and Soljal gives us a lot of insight into these Zoramites and also, of course, has some kind of chilling modern-day applications. Verse 4, these popular Zoramites, And they sent and gathered together throughout all the land of the people and consulted with them concerning the words which had been spoken. Now their rulers and their priests and their teachers did not let the people know concerning their desires. Therefore they found out privily the minds of all the people." So we can see from that that they didn't reveal what their position was on the words from these Nephite missionaries. So they gathered all the Zoramites together and consulted with them and asked them what they thought of what they had been taught. Uh, but they probably posed uh, as as having a favor towards these missionaries themselves 
so that th- those who truly were positively predisposed towards Alma and who were converted by his message felt free to speak up and identify themselves. Uh, so a, a very crafty move by these Zoramites. Verse 6, And it came to pass that after they had found out the minds of all the people, those who were in favor of the words which had been spoken by Alma and his brethren were cast out of the land, and there were many, and they came over also into the land of Jershon. So it seems that Alma's supporters innocently expressed their support of what he had taught and probably hopefully thought that their Zoramite leaders would agree. But then once they were identified as sympathizers, they were immediately expelled. So verse 7, And it came to pass that Alma and his brethren did administer unto them. So Alma and his brethren had gone to Jershon, and perhaps even unsurprisingly to them later, here comes these dispossessed Zoramites following them into Jershon because they had been expelled. Verse 8, Now the people of the Zoramites were angry with the people of Ammon who were in Jershon. This is hard to understand because they've already gotten rid of them so that their craft can't be destroyed. And they've sent them to Jershon, but they're not happy that they have gone, or they have not sent them to Jershon. They simply expelled them. And they're not happy that they've gone to Jershon. So the chief ruler of the Zoramites, being a very wicked man, sent over unto the people of Ammon, desiring them that they should cast out of their land all those who came over from them into their land. And he breathed out many threatenings against them. And now the people of Ammon did not fear their words. Uh, again, revealing their character, which we have seen on so many occasions previously, most dramatically, of course, in Alma chapter 24, when they buried their swords and submitted themselves to their attacking enemies. And uh, they showed their character in other, other points, too, in the narrative. Uh, so they're doing that again here. We can see how they don't fear the words of the Zoramites. And again, they would have been very intimidating. Therefore, they did not cast them out, meaning the dispossessed Zoramites, but they did receive all the poor of the Zoramites that came over unto them, and they did nourish them, and did clothe them, and did give unto them lands for their inheritance, and they did administer unto them according to their wants. So these Zoramites were undoubtedly hungry because they were nourished, and they were naked to some degree, or at least in the scriptural sense. They needed to be clothed. And... Um, Interesting here how these people in the land of Jershon, these people of Ammon, the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, administer unto the Zoramites in just the way that Amalek was describing when he talked about how you don't turn away the needy or the naked um, if you don't want your prayer to be in vain. Yet he's speaking to the people who are the needy and the naked. But now they're having this thing modeled right in front of them and they are being administered unto because they are the needy and the naked. So uh, quite beautiful, uh, the pattern of that and the way that that's playing out in the narrative. So now that this is established, we'll turn to this very unsavory eventuality in verse 10. Now this did stir up the Zoramites to anger against the people of Ammon, and they began to mix with the Lamanites. So that's the thing that was feared at the very beginning of the Zoramite mission in Alma chapter 31. And ultimately, it did actually happen. They did mix with the Lamanites and to stir them up also to anger against them. Thomas R. Valletta has written, The Savior explained to his apostles and disciples why some people get angry and violent when the truth is preached. Quote, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. 
But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He that hateth me hateth my father also. That's out of John chapter 15, verses 18 through 23. Uh, now uh, Thomas Arvaletta has provided this a passage from Brant Gardner in his book called Second Witness. The Zoramite leaders intended the farmers whom they cast out to suffer from this punishment, severing them from their land and their kin. Again, thinking about how these Zoramites were expelled from the land of Antionum. In Jershon, however, they were accepted into a new kinship, one that relied on the gospel rather than family relationships. By mitigating the effects of Antionum's expulsion of the Zoramite converts, the people of Ammon became targets for the Zoramites' wrath. Their leader, already identified as Zoram, ordered Jershon to likewise expel the refugees. So that's a great point that Gardner makes there, that this wicked man, this leader, uh, must be Zoram himself, uh, the, the, the actual namesake of the Zoramites. Why, Brant Gardner continues, would he assume, meaning Zoram, that Jershon might comply with his demands. No doubt he phrased his demand in political terms. The Zoramites were still part of the Nephite hegemony, though tenuously. He had expelled the group as social deviants, therefore they must also be a threat to the government of other cities. It seems unlikely, therefore, that Zoram was accurately informed about the history of Jershon or that the missionaries were also in Jershon, since they would have told a very different story and vouched for the good-heartedness of the Zoramite refugees. In fact, the very reason they were expelled from Antionum would actually make them excellent citizens of Jershon. Uh, Gardner is rightly pointing out there that there is uh, quite an amazing parallel between the people of Ammon and these dispossessed Zoramites, and that the land of Jershon is a, a very appropriate place to receive them as well. So, verse 11, And thus the Zoramites and the Lamanites began to make preparations for war against the people of Ammon and also against the Nephites. And thus ended the seventeenth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. So there's a little time marker for us, seventeenth year over the reign of the judges. Peace in Nephite society has been enjoyed for the last couple of years since the end of the fifteenth year of the reign of the judges and that terrible war that was described in Alma chapter 28. And now we're seeing that war is coming upon them again. So here, besides having no fear, is the way that the people of Ammon will respond to this threat from this mixture of Zoramites and Lamanites that are about to come upon them. They're willing to act and actually to sacrifice, at least for a period of time, and maybe longer, sacrifice their, their actual land in Jershon. Verse 13, And the people of Ammon departed out of the land of Jershon, and came over into the land of Melech, and gave place in the land of Jershon for the armies of the Nephites, that they might contend with the armies of the Lamanites and the armies of the Zoramites. And thus commenced a war betwixt the Lamanites and the Nephites in the eighteenth year of the reign of Judges, and an account shall be given of their wars hereafter. If we didn't have this section between Alma chapters 36 and 42 where Alma speaks to his sons, we'd simply turn the page and we'd go right into this account because that's how it reads when we come to Alma chapter 43. So we'll, we'll simply pick right up with this narrative and talk more about this war at that point. So now we'll, uh, we'll get a retrospective on the Zoramite mission itself 
as uh, Alma chapter 35 is bringing all of this section to a close. So verse 14 says, And Alma and Ammon and their brethren, and also the two sons of Alma, returned to the land of Zarahemla, after having been instruments in the hands of God in bringing many of the Zoramites to repentance. And as many as were brought to repentance were driven out of their land, but they have lands for their inheritance in the land of Jershon, and they have taken up arms to defend themselves and their wives and their children and their lands. So they are not taking any sort of a pacifistic approach, if that's even the right word to use when describing the people of Ammon. Uh, but they are staying in Jerushan with the Nephite armies, and they will fight against the Zoramites and the Lamanites that are to come upon them. Of this whole uh, early, or, or, or of this section so far, in Alma chapter 35, here's some commentary from Ogden and Skinner. The truth of Alma chapter 31, verse 5, is confirmed. The word had a greater power to effect righteous change than anything else. Some Zoramites converted to the gospel and were expelled by the wicked, taken in by the people of Ammon and ministered to according to their wants. True charity extended by sincere disciples comprehends both needs and wants. Nevertheless, the work of the adversary also increased, and war was initiated again, as reported in a later part of the record. And that really picks up in verse 3 of Alma chapter 43. Now uh, we'll get the final two verses here, and we'll see what Alma's perspective is on what has occurred so far. Now Alma, being grieved for the iniquity of his people, yea, for the wars and the bloodsheds and the contentions which were among them, and having been to declare the word or sent to declare the word among all the people in every city, and seeing that the hearts of the people began to wax hard, and that they began to be offended because of the strictness of the word, his heart was exceedingly sorrowful. We can kind of link the pathos of this to this longing that Alma had in Alma chapter 29 when he wished that he was an angel and that he could get his message to the hearts of every person who was living and that they uh, that, that they would be almost, the word wasn't used, but almost compelled to repent. But then he says he sins in his wish. So we, so we know what his desire was. We can see how sad this would have been for him, and the word grieved is probably the most appropriate word that you can think of, uh, and his heart was exceedingly sorrowful. It's curious, I think, and interesting that after a life so well lived as Alma's was, that this would be his state of heart as he comes towards the end of his life and gives his counsel to his sons. Uh, it seems that Lehi's lot was somewhat similar. Uh, he had dealt with so much sadness uh, during his life and his ministry as well. Alma knows, as it says in verse 15, that these people were offended because of the strictness of the word. Not the strictness of Alma's words or his particular teaching style or Amulek's teaching style or the teaching style of Ammon or Aaron or Omner or either of Alma's sons. It's because of the strictness of the word intrinsically This is something, of course, that Nephi talked about earlier, too, about the way that it cuts to the very center and and tends to cause division because the word is strict and it's sharp and powerful. It has a way of dividing asunder, and it will always be that there are some who will take the truth to be hard, and those are, as Nephi taught, the wicked. And so that's what happens because of the strictness of the word. Elder D. Chod Christofferson has taught in his talk called Divine Gift of Repentance, the invitation to repent is an expression of love. 
If we do not invite others to change, or if we do not demand repentance of ourselves, we fail in a fundamental duty we owe to one another and to ourselves. A permissive parent, an indulgent friend, a fearful church leader, are in reality more concerned about themselves than the welfare and happiness of those they could help. Yes, the call to repentance is at times regarded as intolerant or offensive, and may even be resented, but guided by the Spirit, it is in reality an act of genuine caring. So great insight by Elder Christofferson there, Uh, yet it does remain true that when this is done, uh, there are still those who are offended because of the strictness of the word, and um, great opposition can come as a result. And that, of course, is what Alma is seeing here. So verse 16 will give us this continuity piece now into Alma's counsel to his sons. It says, Therefore he caused that his sons should be gathered together, that he might give unto them everyone his charge, separately concerning the things pertaining unto righteousness. And we have an account of his commandments, which he gave unto them according to his word. So that almost reads like a head note, really, to Alma chapter 36 through 42. The word therefore at the beginning of this verse is interesting because it suggests that this episode where Alma speaks to his sons will be the answer to the problem that was expressed in verse 15, suggesting that the problem was that Alma was about to go to his grave, to use uh, Lehi's language from earlier. Scott and Angela Anderson have written this in a chapter called One by One in a work called Eternal Families that can be found authored or edited by Daniel Judd and Doug Brinley or is it Brindley, sorry, Uh, with respect to what is to come with Alma giving counsel to his sons, they have written this, where does a prophet begin to change things? And again, we're thinking about how much Alma wishes he could have changed things. So he's laid out this dilemma in verse 15 and then used the word therefore in verse 16 as if to say that what he's to do in speaking to his sons is a solution to the problem that he's just expressed. What could he do to turn things around in the land? Notice that he did not begin with a general conference, though he was the prophet, nor did he call a press conference to gather public support. He chose instead to start at home. In fact, perhaps Mormon in making his abridgment felt this point was so critical for us as Latter-day people to understand that he put aside his account of wars and difficulties that Alma faced in governing his people and instead detailed in his transcript how a prophet may have helped change the entire social order. He began at home. And that is definitely a shift in perspective for us for a moment because we're considering this conflict between nations that is taking place and we're considering the effect of um, these displaced Zoramites and how they, they go into Jershon. And so we're looking at things kind of from this level of detail. But now uh, Mormon will provide this account for us in Alma 36 through 42, uh, where we'll go down and, 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 and look at things in the level of the home in this conversation between father and son, or in this council uh, between father and son. Before ending the reading of this chapter, I'd like to read this from the Book of Mormon Institute manual, which will kind of help us to uh, provide us with a map of kind of where we are. Uh, And it it talks about the the Nephite-Lamanite wars that are recorded in Alma chapters 43 through 62. So it says, chronologically, Alma chapter 43 follows Alma chapter 35. So we'll have more opportunity to talk about that. But 
Alma, being grieved for the iniquity of his people, yea, for the wars and the bloodsheds, gathered his sons separately to address things pertaining unto righteousness, uh, which is what we've just read, of course. Mormon specifically noted his interjection of Alma's words into his sons Helaman, Shiblon, and Corianton before returning to the account of the wars between the Nephites and the Lamanites. Compare the dates at the bottom of the pages, it says in Alma chapter 35 and Alma 43, just so that you can see that 43 is is actually a continuation of the narrative there. Alma chapter 35 explains the buildup that led to the Lamanite-Nephite war comprising Alma chapters 43 through 62. The conflict and eventual war may be summarized from Alma chapter 35, actually. One, the popular part of the Zoramites were angry because of the word, for it to destroy their craft, or in other words, priestcraft. Two, the converted Zoramites being cast out of the land, and they were many, went and dwelt among the people of Jershon. Here they were nourished, clothed, given lands for their inheritance, and had all of their wants satisfied. In their previous land, they were looked upon as poor, filthy, and coarse. Three, the kindness of the people of Jershon receiving the new converts infuriated the Zoramites. The chief ruler of the Zoramites breathed out many threatenings against them. The people of Ammon did not fear, further angering the Zoramites and their ruler. Four, the unconverted Zoramites began to mix with the Lamanites and to stir them up also to anger against the people of Ammon, who were Lamanite converts. The events recorded in Alma chapter 35 reveal how the lengthy Nephite-Lamanite wars recorded in Alma 43 through 62 began. Satan stirred the hearts of the Zoramites to anger. In turn, they influenced the Lamanites and other Nephite dissenters to anger and to take up weapons of war against those who were good. Well, that kind of shows us then that the narrative set up for everything that's to come in the book of Alma, uh, excepting this uh, section that we're about to read in Alma 36 through 30 or 42, is set up right here in Alma chapter 35. So we'll return to those narrative details when we come to Alma chapter 43. And then, of course, that will be after reading Alma's counsel to his sons. So for now, this brings us to the end of this marvelous and incredible Zoramite mission and to the end of this chapter, Alma chapter 35. Thank you for listening to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. I want to acknowledge the resources that have helped me prepare this and previous episodes of this podcast. Grant Hardy's Reader's Edition of the Book of Mormon has helped me with the sectional divisions in these chapters. Kelly Ogden and Andrew Skinner's verse-by-verse commentary on the Book of Mormon has provided me with rich commentary. I also want to acknowledge a new resource that I've used for the last few chapters, which is the Book of Mormon Study Guide, the revised edition from Thomas R. Valletta. Parallel passages of Scripture and general conference addresses that come to mind also play a prominent role in this podcast, as do my own thoughts and writings. For them and any errors that you find in them, I, of course, am solely responsible. I hope that this podcast has had the effect of drawing you to the scriptural text that is so rich with detail and generous with truths that can help us navigate through our own lives and, most importantly, draw closer to God in our study of His Word. So thank you for listening.